0: I'm excited that uh, you guys have invited me to come and hang out with you guys just for a few minutes tonight. And what we're going to be doing tonight is focusing our attention on one person, and that person, his name is Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. And here's the thing, Jesus is absolutely accessible to each and every person here. And so what we're going to do tonight is kind of figure out maybe, maybe some life hacks on what does it look like for us. To mimic the Master. What does it look like for us to be like Jesus? So, here's a little bit of background in myself. Uh, I was born in East L.A. in Pico Rivera, California. My father was pastor of Primera Iglesia Bautista de Pico Rivera, which means First Bilingual Baptist Church in Pico Rivera. Bilingual meaning he would preach his messages in English and in Spanish. At the same time, so he would say, "Yo, en Iglesia, God is the same in English and in Spanish." Ahora vamos a orar. Now we're gonna pray back and forth, and everybody thought it was so incredible, and I just thought it was really long. I mean, can you imagine, like a forty-minute sermon is now an eighty-minute sermon, and so for me, like I grew up listening to this man of God and watching him pour his life out, and so I, I stepped into the ministry after my father and. As Pastor introduced me, I, I led worship for 13 years, traveling the country with Integrity Music, uh, toured with some, some great bands, and that, that, in that section of my life, it was absolutely amazing. But then a few years ago, God asked me to put the guitar down and to pick up just a microphone and a podium and just to preach the Word of God. And so this isn't something that I've been doing for a long time, but this, just because I've not been doing it for a long time does not mean that God hasn't asked me to deliver it. And so, for any of you guys out there that maybe may be feeling some tugging of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to show you guys some things tonight, and I'm going to let you guys know that God has absolutely incredible things set up for each and every person sitting on this lawn this evening. Now, the way we're going to focus our attention tonight, and what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a moment maker. Say, moment maker. What does it mean to be a moment maker? A moment maker is somebody that lives their life as opposed to their life living them. All right, let me say that again. A moment maker is somebody that lives their life instead of their life living them. And that is a really tiny line that you can be on either side of And you understand what it feels. Sometimes you blink and it's been five years and you're like, what have I done with my life? Well, God has some absolutely incredible things in store for you. You begin to open up the Word of God and see exactly what He has. So the way we want to be a moment maker is with the family. So you're looking around. This is your church family. Turn to somebody next to you and say, hello, family. Hello, family. This is the family. All right? And so we're going to be creating moments and being moment makers with your family. My family, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Heather, for Seventeen years, amen, amen. Hey, I can get a clap offering for that. Seventeen years. Now, here's the thing: she is so gorgeous, guys, that every morning, like, I roll over and I'm like, "Wow, how did I pull that off?" Every day, I'm still absolutely amazed at, at just how beautiful she is and just how much she loves the Lord. And we've got three beautiful kids. I've got a 15-year-old daughter, Sohela who's Basically, a Disney princess is who she is. I mean, she, she talks like one when I'm like, so halo hey, baby, come here. She's like, yes, daddy, what do you need?" Like, that's just her. Oh, do you have that in your family? Does anybody have that version of human being in their family? And then I've got my 13-year-old daughter, who's the antithesis of a Disney princess. She's, she's kind of like the, 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 the one who, she came out of the womb snapping her finger and rolling her neck like Beyonce, just got, kind of had an attitude and fire. So, I've got two different versions of daughters. And then we adopted my son, Losaya, from South Korea when he was seven months old. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't make a son, so I went and got a son. And um, he's completed my family. And so, that, I, I want to introduce you to my family because a lot of these stories I'm going to be talking about and a lot of the moments that you guys are going to be creating are going to be with your family. So, the, 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 whole, the whole reason why this moment maker idea came into me was a few years ago. My family and I, at the time, were living in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were driving down to a Braves game, and um, what what are we, uh, Philly fans here, is that that, that kind of what's going on here? Okay, double checking, double checking, and we're on our way to a Braves game booth, and that Beyonce song, All the Single Ladies, came on, you guys know that song, All the Single Ladies, All the Single Ladies, that one, and my kids started singing it, and I pulled out my phone, and I started recording my kids singing All the Single Ladies. And then I told my son, who was about three at the time, on video, that he's not a single lady. And he absolutely lost his mind. He started weeping. He started crying. And I felt like a horrible father for making my son cry. And I'm capturing this whole thing on video. And I'm sharing this with you guys because let me tell you what happened. I put that video and I uploaded it to YouTube. The next morning, The next morning, I got phone calls from NBC, from CBS, early show, from Good Morning America, from Anderson Cooper, from Wolf Blitzer, because I, overnight, 7.9 million people had watched this video. 7.9 7.9 million people. And they were all watching this video. You guys can look it up right now. I don't care. It's called Single Ladies Devastation. It's on YouTube. You can watch it when you go home. But, but here's the thing. Everybody was, 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 was so attracted to this video of me making my son cry. And, and, and the, the news we were on, the Ellen show, the Jimmy Kimmel show, it was a crazy couple of weeks. Seven months later, my family got picked up in a limousine. In L.A., got driven to the Staples Center, walked down a red carpet, and won the People's Choice Award for Viral Video of the Year. I won an award for making my son cry. And in the middle of this crazy hoopla, in the middle of this craziness, I remember looking at my wife going, why are people so attracted to this video? What was it? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, she said, it's because you showed a mistake. And our culture does not see anything authentic anymore. See, here's the truth. People are desperate for authenticity. People are desperate for truth. People are desperate for just a little bit of real. Because we've got these things, and the truth of the matter is, like, no- nothing's real anymore, right? Right? Like, like, like we, we take our selfies, and then we throw our filter on it, and we look really good. And then for every inch we go higher on the selfie, we lose like five pounds. You guys know. And now people are taking selfies like this, and then you see them in real life, and you're like, whoa! Nothing is real anymore. And let me tell you something. The world out there is desperate for realness, and the realest thing we can give them is Jesus. And so what we do is we dive into the gospel, and we look at the life of Jesus. And when I saw that happen with my family, I said, if people are desperate for a dad making a son cry, how much more are they going to be desperate for the gospel of Jesus? So I began to look, and I opened up the scriptures, and I started to see that every single day of Jesus' life, he created three types of moments. There were created moments, received moments, and rescued moments. Okay? We're going to be talking about being moment makers tonight. And what does it look like for us to, on purpose, because of the gospel, create, receive, and rescue moments in the name of Jesus. First type of moment is a created moment. Say, created moment. These are the moments you're in charge of. These are the moments each and every day that we can, on purpose, deliver to somebody else. Now, sometimes these moments are epic. Sometimes these moments are tiny. Sometimes these moments are massive successes. Sometimes a massive failure, But as long as we keep t- going forward, stepping forward, and creating moments on purpose, I believe that Jesus will be glorified. Now, when were some parts of Scripture that Jesus created moments? In Mark chapter 5, if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. And this, this is an incredible story. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, there's a father named Jairus. Now, this father had a daughter who was dying. Now, it says that his daughter was 12 years old. Now, I've got a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. So I sink in to this story when I read it. And it said his daughter was dying. And so if there's any parents out there, and I see lots of you, if your child is sick, you just hang out at home or do you sprint to get help? You sprint to get help. And so that's what Jairus does. And so you got Jairus running as fast as he can because he hears, Jesus is in town. So he runs and he gets Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, this next part of the story when I was growing up at Primera Iglesia Batista de Pico Rivera, my dad—we talk about this next part all the time—and it's an incredible part of the story. You guys remember the story about Jesus walking through the city and a woman who's been sick for years reaches out and touches the hem of his robe. Woo! And guess what happened? When she touched him, she was healed. And as she touched him, Jesus said, "Who touched me?" He felt some power leave, and so he says, "Who touched me?" And she said, "It was I." Now listen. This was while he was following Jairus to his house to supposedly heal Jairus' daughter. Get that straight for a second. Jesus is walking through the city. A woman touches him. He says, who touched me? She said, it was I. He said, your faith has made you well. Now, that's an incredible story in and of itself. That's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But do you know who I'm thinking about at this moment when Jesus is healing that woman? Jairus. Because Jairus was the one that had gone to go get Jesus. Jairus was the one with the dying daughter that he went to go sprint to find Jesus. And can you imagine, at the moment Jesus was healing this other woman, I can only imagine if it was me, I'd have been 200 yards down the road, turning around. Where's Jesus? Wait, what, what do you mean he's, he's healing somebody else? But I asked him to heal my daughter. How many people, let's get vulnerable for just a second, in this field have ever asked Jesus to do something and he has gone and done something else? Yeah. And you know what ends up beginning to happen inside of your heart when that happens? Frustration, anger, and we start doubting the very fabric and essence of who Jesus is. I know for me I've asked Jesus to do so many things, And then guess what? He's done other things. But I asked him to do this. And that's where we find ourselves in the Scripture. Verse 35, watch this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine? Your daughter is dead. The frustration Jairus must have felt Jairus was desperate for a rescue. Desperate. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Now, for those of us that raised our hand, myself included, I've heard that from Jesus as well when he's gone and done something else. But you know what, Jesus? That's really easy for you to say. But my daughter's dead. That's really easy for you to say, but my mom's got sick. That's really for you to, easy for you to say, Jesus, just believe. But my marriage is falling apart. Just believe. Because my friends here at Calvary Chapel, can I let you know something? Although we may expect Jesus to do something, and he may do something else, Jesus always has something greater in store for you. And guess what? This is what happens. Watch this. He follows Jairus to his house. He stands in front of that breathless, no heart beating little girl. And Jesus says, rise. You know what happened? Breath entered her lungs. And she went from dead to life. Watch this. What Jairus thought was going to be a rescue, Jesus turned into a resurrection. How many people tonight on this lawn have been waiting for Jesus to simply rescue you? Guess what? That can happen. But he doesn't want to just rescue him. Jesus wants resurrect resurrection. The resurrection takes sacrifice, and resurrection takes death, spiritual death, in order for spiritual life to happen. So I look at this, and I see Jesus turning rescues into resurrection, and I think, how in the world? Okay, I, I see that, but how can I mimic that? Like, how can we be moment makers and create moments like that? For, for our world and for our family. It doesn't have to be these massive things. We can create moments on purpose and we can see those moments begin to change other people. Now, my family, we, we've homeschooled our kids for many years. And we homeschool our kids because I travel full-time and I like to bring them with me. And so a couple years ago, we, um, we decided to create a moment and we, we bought what's called a butterfly garden for my homeschool kids. Now, I don't know if anyone is familiar with butterfly gardens, but you order these things on Amazon, and they ship you some caterpillars and little mesh nets, and you, you, you take the caterpillars out, and you, you put them on your, your kitchen counter, and you watch these caterpillars kind of crawl around for a couple years. Now, I'm not the science teacher in my home school school, but these things slowly spin a cocoon, and then a couple weeks later, they knock out, and they're little butterflies, and so my kids had fallen in love with these butterflies. My daughter, Sohela, the Disney princess, had actually named her butterfly Beatrice. And I told Sohela, the Disney princess, I said, baby, you can't name the butterfly because we're going to have to release the butterfly one day. No, 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 daddy. And this, she was about nine or ten. No, 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 it's okay. I can name her Beatrice. I said, okay. And so we named Beatrice, and it came for butterfly release day. Now, butterfly release day, I'm going to create a moment Jesus is creating moments. I'm going to create a moment. So we made butterfly pancakes. We put butterfly antennas on our teeth. I put butterfly wings on my back. And we were ready. It was a beautiful Sunday morning before church. And so we go outside to release the butterflies. And Losiah's butterfly takes off like a jet. Sianna's butterfly takes off. So Hala's butterfly, Beatrice, kind of limped out of the cage. And she wasn't flying very well. And I was like, uh uh-oh. So Haley's hey, going to be okay. Daddy, Beatrice doesn't look pretty good. It's okay. You shouldn't the named her, but it's okay. So we're walking to the car, and Beatrice is flying, just kind of flying right, right around the house. And we get in the car, and I start backing up, and my kids' eyes are postured to the side watching Beatrice barely fly. And as I turn around, I see a brown streak out of the corner of my eye flying down Albar Drive. You know where it's going. And this Tennessee robin, right in front of my kids, murdered Beatrice right before their eyes. Wham! Pushed that thing right out of the sky. dropped it. And then I'm like, oh, with this? And my kids are like, oh, my gosh. Daddy, go save Beatrice. Go save Beatrice. And I'm like, I'm just trying to create moments. Oh, my gosh, what happened? And I looked at my, my wife. I was like, save Beatrice. And she's like, go save Beatrice. So this grown 40-year-old man leaps out of his Hyundai Santa Fe, sprints down Albar Drive, chasing this robin with Beatrice hanging out of its beak. Beatrice finally flies over with the, with the bird, and it's over. And I start walking back to, to, to the car, and I'm like, okay, I've created a moment. Now I've got to rescue this moment. What am I going to do? And I walk back to the car, and I hear my kids just a- weeping and gnashing and teeth. And I walk in, and I'm like, Kids and I got it. I got it. I got it. I go, kids. Hakuna matata. It's 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 the circle of life. It's like it's like what if what if what if that bird hadn't eaten for weeks and you raise Beatrice and right just like that, my daughter stops and goes, Daddy, that's not what Hakuna matata means. It means no worries, and Beatrice didn't even have a chance to worry. You see, I. We live our life on purpose. As we step out and start creating these moments on purpose, they're not always going to have a happy ending. But here's what I want us to understand from you. Here's what I want us to understand. What my daughter needed me to do when I created that moment wasn't to try to roll up my sleeves and fix it. She just needed me to be her father. Because what ended up happening was I went over to the other side of the car and just held her. And I stopped her matata in. And I stopped trying to fix it. She just needed me to be with her. And suddenly I felt the healing begin to happen inside of me. As we're creating these moments, as we step out and we go create these moments, they don't have to be these elaborate things where we have to come up with these great sentences to say, to say people. No, sometimes a created moment in the name of Jesus is just showing up. It's just showing up to work every single day is just showing up and being Jesus. See, that's what creative moments are. Say this, we must mimic the master. That's what we do. We look at Jesus, we copy and paste into our life. That's what it looks like to mimic the master. So those are creative moments. Second type of moment are received moments. Now these are the moments that we're the beneficiaries of. These are the moments that we get to receive from God. But here's the thing, in order to receive a moment, you have to be in a posture of reception. When somebody hands you something and you have your fist clenched, you're not going to be able to hold it. So what does it look like for us to do that? Great example in Scripture of a received moment. In Exodus chapter 14, we're going to rewind back to the Old Testament. Watch this. You've got the Israelites. They've been slaves for many years. And the Israelites were finally free, right? Moses comes in and he frees them. And they're running as fast as they can. And so here they go. They're running. They got the Egyptian army behind them, so they're running really fast, but then they end up standing at the edge of an ocean. And now they start to freak out, which all of us would as well, because behind them is death, and in front of them is death. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. Watch this. When the Israelites saw the king and his army coming after them, they were very frightened and they cried to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Watch this. What have you done to us? Why didn't you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There were plenty of graves for us in Egypt. We told you in Egypt, leave us alone. We'll stay and serve the Egyptians. Now we're going to die in the desert. Do You guys see, the second they're faced with a little bit of drama, what they want to go and be again, what? Slaves. Slaves. They've been given freedom. But the second drama enters their life, they want to go and be slaves again. Now, we can relate, because that's kind of how we act sometimes too. But here's where the received moment comes in. Watch this. But Moses answered, don't be afraid. Stand still. Stand still, and you will see the Lord save you today. Stand still. Stillness is the hardest thing this generation and culture can do. Just that five seconds of stillness, that I, that I gave you guys a second ago. Some of you guys are freaking out. What are you going to So quiet. Like, we, we get to a red light. 30 seconds, friends. Well, what are we going to do? I mean, there's my phone. Maybe I can, like, take a picture of the red light and post it on Facebook. Like, we don't know how to stand still. Can I tell you what happened when they stood still? When they stood still, Moses grabbed that rod and stuck it in the ground. And that sea split wide open. And they marched towards rescue. And they received their moment. Only then when they stood still. We move so fast. We have the volume turned up on our lives so loud that we can barely, barely hear God. I mean, sometimes we'll turn on a, a worship CD. And I believe God just wants us to be still and quiet. We don't need to fill our head with the sounds all the time. And I know it's scary for so many of us, but I believe God is shouting at us. I believe he's shouting at us if we just stand still. Last week, I was on tour with Bethel Music. And we were were traveling the country. We were halfway through the tour. I've been gone for 10 days from home. I couldn't wait to get home. I, could, I was three days away from home. I could smell my wife cooking. It was it was happening. And my buddy Justin, in, uh, he, he's, he's, a, he's a pastor at a church called Hope City Indy in Indianapolis. He texted me, and his text message, I'm going to read it to you. His text message said, let's me see if I can find it here. Now, remember, I'm three days away, three days away from getting home. Whoa, lots of people have texted me in the last couple of days. Okay. He said, Hey, bro, quick question for you. This is a long shot, but would you be available or able or have the desire to come speak at our church Hope City on Sunday with everything going on with our adoption? They were adopting two little kids that week. I just don't know if we have the capacity to speak on Sunday. We're in a series called Greater and your moment maker talk would fit perfectly. You could talk about creative moments. Any chance you could do that? Did I want to do that? no. I've been gone for eleven days. And I texted my wife right away and I was like, I was kind of trying to get her to say no, so I didn't have to. It's like, hey babe, Justin wants me to come to speak on Sunday. But I've been gone for eleven days. Like, there's I really I, I shouldn't do that, right? You know what she said? Have you prayed about it? There goes my wife again. The moment maker. Well. No, I haven't prayed about it, but I just know. Stand still. Stand still. So I sat in the coffee shop and I wrote in my journal. This is what I wrote in my journal. I have it right here. Jesus, am I supposed to speak at Hope City Indy this weekend? Yes or no? So I wrote, it's right there. Can't see it. If there's a screen, I put it up. It was like it was like I was asking Jesus like in fourth grade if he would go out go with me or something like, like that remember those, those notes check yes or no I wrote that yes or no and I just sat there and I turned on my worship music and I was like okay God tell me." couldn't hear anything God 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 come on I, I, I can't hear anything couldn't hear anything okay you know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the volume down turn the volume down on my phone and I heard John 3.16. Oh, that's not God, obviously, John 3.16. It's like vacation Bible school. Like, what? what is that? It's like, like too simple. So I didn't even look. And I heard it again. I didn't look again. Then I asked God, and I turned the volume all the way down, and I heard First John 3.16. Now, guys, First John 3.16. I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to open up the Bible and see. This is only two minutes after I, I wrote, should I go to Hope City Indy, yes or no? 1 John 3, 16. <laughs> What's this. I opened up my Bible. I opened up my Bible after I stood still. This is what my Bible said. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off compassion from him, how can God's love re- reside in him? I stood up in this coffee shop. Did you guys see that? Did anyone else see the Holy Spirit? Oh, my God. And I texted Justin like, yes, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. See, here's the thing. This kind of conversational intimacy with Jesus is accessible to each and every person here. Each and every person here. But you have to turn down the volume and stand still. This has almost become a daily occurrence for me. And it's only gotten that way because I've turned down the volume of life to stood still. Those are received moments. And they're waiting for you. And then the last type of moment is a rescued moment. Say, rescued moments. All right, guys. These are the moments that many of us are desperate for in, whoo, things are flying in the baptistry, all kinds of stuff happening here. In 1 Peter, watch this. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 10. Now the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. Watch that. The God of all grace, who called you into, into eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally, this is such good news, restore, establish, strengthen and supports you, comma, after you have suffered a little. Come on. That verse was so good for a second. What do you mean? All these things are promised to us, but guess what? We are living in a world with suffering. And so we know that there is rescue needed. And guess what? Jesus rescued moments by doing two things. And this is it. Pay attention here. Because this is going to, I think, change the facet of many of us and how we step out and rescue moments for others. We're going to look up in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, a, a perfect example of how Jesus rescued moments. Matthew 14, 25-31. you got Jesus and his disciples. And here's the thing. Growing up, when I was listening to my dad preach, I used to think that Jesus' disciples were just perfect little versions of Jesus. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The number one phrase that Jesus said to his disciples, more than any other phrase in scripture, was not, Oh ye of massive faith. That's not what it is. You know what it was? Oh ye of little, oh you got it, little faith. Can you imagine your best friends on the planet, that's who his disciples were. Can you imagine your best friends on the planet, you having to say to them every single day, Oh ye of little faith. Oh, ye little faith. This was Jesus' life. And here we have another, oh, ye of little faith moment. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then there's Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Prove it. That's what he said. And I love Jesus' response. He didn't preach him a sermon. He didn't send him a podcast to listen to. He didn't give him a worship CD. No. One word. Come. And with that word, Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. So when Peter challenged Jesus, Jesus opened his heart. Say so he opened his heart. That's step one in a rescue. You open your heart. Here's step two. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did ye doubt? Step two, open your hand. Say, open your hand. Open your heart. Open your hand. Open your heart. Open your hand. That is how Jesus rescued. Can I, let, I'll, I'll just explain this even a little simpler. Conviction is called opening your heart. Action is called opening your hand. Many of us tonight when Pastor was interviewing that incredible lady, were convicted about giving money to the dental clinic. You can't rescue anything with conviction alone. Action has to follow conviction. Jesus had to reach out his hand and follow conviction with action. So, some of you guys tonight are being convicted that you know you need to surrender your entire life to Jesus. And in about five minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to let action follow conviction. What does it look like for the rest of us, though? What does it look like for the rest of us to rescue moments in the name of Jesus? Open our heart and open our hands. Well, it's simple. Every single day, there's moments you can open your heart and your hand. I was on a flight. I fly all the time. How many of you guys are ever Southwest Airlines here? Yeah? Southwest Airlines, I'm not a fan. Let me tell you why. Because Southwest Airlines... You, they don't give you a seat assignment. So you have to, they board you like paddle, like in these troughs, and you, you, you go in, and you have to talk to people. So if you're an extrovert, it's your dream airline. But if you're an introvert, don't ever fly Southwest Airlines, because you have to talk to people. And if you're the last person to board a Southwest Airlines flight, the last person, you are public enemy number one. Why? Because anybody with an empty seat next to them doesn't want you to take that seat. You guys know. So I happen to be the last person to board this Southwest Airlines flight, and I come walking on. And every single person with an empty seat next to them, their eyes straight went up. They started acting like they were sick, (coughs) coughing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody, please make eye contact with me. And towards the back of the plane, this older gentleman, about 75 or 80, he accidentally made eye contact with me. I was like busted, and I go running up to him. I was like, hey, hey, sir, can, can I sit in that seat next to you? This man crossed his arms, kind of shook like this and goes, "Uh uh-uh. Right in front of the whole plane, I was rejected. And all kinds of childhood issues came rushing back in. But all I thought to myself was, I'm going to make this man like me. So I grabbed my skinny jeans and I stepped over him. And I sat down, and I pulled out my phone, and I was like, look at my kids. Aren't they cute? Like, what about your kids? Like, where are you from? What do you do? And I went at him for about 20 minutes. I was like, Jesus, I'm going to make this man love me. I'm going to still love Jesus. I'm going to go after him. This is the rudest man in America. Nothing. He gave me nothing. So I tried for 20 minutes. We fly from LAX to Atlanta. That's a long flight. We're about 20 minutes from landing. And the plane starts to bounce. Just a little too much. Any nervous flyers out there? Okay. Watch. This is another reason I don't like Southwest Airlines because they think they're funny. The pilot got on the intercom and said, Ladies and gentlemen, the winds are blowing 40 miles an hour in Atlanta. In order to safely land, they have to stay below 40, so we're going to give it a shot. Ha 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 ha. Is that funny? If there's any pilots out there, come and tell me if you think that's funny after. So I looked over at rudest man in America and he is gripping the seat in front of him and he is shaking and there is sweat like exploding from his scalp his shirt is soaking wet and I realized in that moment he was not rude what was he he was scared it was all the man could do to breathe and I'm asking him his life story the whole thing so I feel horrible but, but I felt like God said rescue the moment Rescue the moment. Oh, I know how to rescue the moment. I'm gonna pray for you. So I did. And I prayed all, I played, I prayed like the best Christian prayer I could ever come up with. Like filled with like peace that passes understanding and traveling mercies and hedges of protection and all kinds of all kinds of stuff, man. I said amen. And I felt like such a good Christian. And I felt like God Himself looked down from heaven and went. Well, why the slow clap, God? Like, I rescued it. I prayed for him. Yeah, you opened your heart. Now open you up. See, friends, in order to rescue, there must be risk. Without risk, there is no rescue. And I knew what I needed to do, and I didn't want to do it. Oh. I took about five breaths like that. I cocked my head right and I looked at that window. And I stuck my hand on my left thigh just like that. I no more doesn't grab my hand in one second. I'm just going to start cracking my knuckles and acting like I'm stretching. One second later. Five cold, wet fingers, are gripping mine, And now I'm having a romantic moment at 30,000 feet with some strange man. All right, guys, now what? holding my hand. 20 minutes till we landed. That man, held my hand. We taxi to the gate, still holding my hand. We get to the gate. I've been looking out the window the whole time. And I think we should at least make eye contact and make the relationship official. So I turned to look this man in the eye. He let go of my hand. He got up, walked off that plane, and never said one word to me. He used me. You see what I felt? And as clear as day, listen to this, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. He, He used me. Because when you rescue a moment, In the name of Jesus, guess what? It's never about you. It's always about God. We don't get God's glory. It's always a reflection back to Him. And I want to let you guys know tonight, many of you out here have been living such a safe and comfortable life. Such a safe and comfortable faith. You know what that's called? Vacation. Our Christian faith wasn't meant to be a vacation. We are soldiers called to battle. And there's a war going on. And we've got to risk in order to rescue. My dad would say it like this. God knows. Gaze at God and glance at life. You see, we flip it. What do we do? We, we gaze at life, and then when we're desperate, we glance at God. But when you gaze into the eyes of our Savior, that's when this moment-making life begins to take faith. Guys, there's such incredible moments waiting for you guys. Such incredible moments to create, receive, and rescue in the name of Jesus just waiting for you guys. But our eyes are fixed here on earth when they need to be fixed and gazing up above. So this is what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask some of you guys to risk in order to be rescued tonight. So if every eye can be closed in this field right now, every head bowed, Right now, I believe that some of you guys, tonight's the night that you move from conviction into action. And tonight's the night that some of you guys get to say yes to Jesus.